0: Okay, so to begin, probably exactly where everybody expects, we'll start right in, in The Little Mermaid. Ariel likes to explore sunken ships, right, and collect, collect objects from the human world above. And because she doesn't know what these things are or how to use them, she takes them to her wise friend, Scuttle the Seagull, Right? who supposedly knows the human world well enough to explain what people use these treasures for. And when Ariel gave Scuttle a fork, he identified it as a dinglehopper, not for eating, but for styling human hair, which he demonstrated, leaving his head feathers all in a mess. She showed him a a pipe, which he thought were making music, leaving a very unsatisfying song at the end. But I think a scuttle actually teaches us an important lesson. Namely, that if we don't know what things are for, you will likely look very foolish when you try to use them. We need to know something's purpose if we're going to make the right use of it. If not, you'll end up combing your hair with a fork or trying to play a song on a tobacco pipe. But what... That all seems well and good. We need to know what things are for. But what if we make the same sort of mistakes concerning Christian doctrine and life? What if we don't understand the purpose of various things that God has built into the world or or the principles of how we are saved? These mistakes would make us look foolish in far uh, worse ways than a bad hairstyle or a non-musical pipe song. They would make us look foolish before God concerning the reasons that we are using to appeal to him, why we should be right with him, why he should accept us. And the fallout is of far greater magnitude than any of these other trivial matters. In Galatians 5, 1-15, Paul confronted the Galatians concerning how they did not know what their freedom in Christ is for. They misunderstood how it works, its functions, its results, and its limits. As as we've seen throughout this book, they had lost track of the gospel's Purity, accepting some false teaching that someone must add circumcision or some other Mosaic ceremonial laws as conditions for justification for being right with God. They added works as a requirement for God to accept us, to declare us righteous in His sight and establish a good relationship with us. We have to earn it rather than receive it by faith. In these false teachers' minds. And that, that prompts us to consider today how we understand Christian freedom. If, if you were explaining your freedom in Christ, would you sound like Paul or like Scuttle the Seagull? Right? And so really today, Really, today, we have one question that we're going to answer in three ways. Namely, what is Christian freedom for? But because three answers can be hard to remember, we're going to summarize those answers as the main point. The main point is that freedom in Christ provides for our relationship with God and with each other. Freedom in Christ provides for our relationship with God and with each other. And so as we think about this question before us, what is Christian freedom for? Our three answers are freedom is by faith, freedom is for firmness, and freedom is for fellowship. So by faith, for firmness, and for fellowship. So then let's think about this first answer that we have together, that freedom is by faith. And we've covered this topic again and again as we've worked through this letter. And yet, all the same, we can't understand this passage unless we know what Christian freedom is. We can't answer that question, what is our freedom for, if we don't have an answer to what it is. Paul wrote, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And rather than loading all of that up with with whatever meaning meaning we might invent, whatever we might just decide it means. We do better to make sure that we understand what Paul intended by this freedom. When I was in secondary school, I I used to work summers in uh, a mechanic shop, uh, right? We we specialized in, in rebuilding engines so, if you uh, my job was was primarily to take them apart, so no don 't ask me if I can help you fix it. I can take it apart for you, but that 's probably not what you want. Um, but because I was also the cheap laborer i didn 't just take things apart, I also ended up getting whatever side tasks might come along, and one of those uh, one summer was to build this big long concrete gutter at the edge of the the car park so that they could Get uh, various little bolts and and other pieces of of junk, uh, blown off into this gutter, and they would wash away. Now, to do this, to build this gutter, to obtain a lot of concrete, right? It, it basically you you dig a, a two foot ditch the whole length of the car park and fill it with concrete. So, how did I do that? I I went to the shop, and I carried bags and bags of of dry sacrete, right? Concrete in a sack. I still remember that stupid orange-brownish color, of that bag. Uh, yeah, ca- ca- uh, carried bags and bags of this stuff from the shelves to my truck, then from the truck to the right place in the car park to mix it up. And the big takeaway from that experience is that it's not fun to carry heavy things for a long time. Not that I needed to argue that point at length, because I think we all sort of know that. But the Galatians had decided that they wanted to carry heavy things for a long time. Moreover, they wanted to carry a heavy load, not about some indifferent matter, but they wanted to carry it as if carrying that load was necessary for their salvation. But unless they did so and did so successfully, they wouldn't be right with God. And Paul pointed out the flaw in their approach here in verses 2 to 4. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You see right there, don't you, that they're opting to carry bag after bag after bag of concrete. And what does that result in? Because they can't ultimately carry enough. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. This is like moving, that job of, of moving bags of concrete mix. right? But, but perhaps, you know, on the other hand, if we can imagine a different way that that story plays out, perhaps there was some forklift that easily could have picked up the whole stack of bags and, and moved them with no effort. And if that forklift were there, and yet I decided to carry each bag myself, I have chosen for that forklift to be of no use to me. And when it comes to justification, the choice is sort of like that. You can be completely free as because of Grace. Right? You can be completely free from every burden of the law as Christ provides everything you need to have everlasting life. He carries the burden for you. He fulfilled the law and completed every obligation. Or you can decide to carry the entire load on your own. And if you choose to carry that concrete, the bag's full of your obligation to the law, The forklift is of no use to you. If you choose to perform the law for justification, Christ then becomes of no use to you. You've decided to go your own way. And we're just right back to that dichotomous choice between being right with God because of grace in Christ and being right with God because you earned it. Right? And at the end of the day, if you want to, if you want to have everlasting life, Someone, someone has to earn it. Someone has to earn your way into the heavenly kingdom if you're to be there. And the question simply is, do you want to get the concrete yourself? Or do you want Christ to do it for you? Because at the end of the day, Paul has told us our freedom is for freedom. And so we need to use it by trusting in Christ. When we place our trust in Christ, we are freed from the burden of the law because He has fulfilled it for us. He's done all the earning that there is to do. And so freedom is our release from the obligation to to fulfill the law, to to get that right relationship with God. As the Westminster Confession, chapter Twenty. Paragraph 1, that concerns Christian liberty, says, The liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, and the curse of the moral law. And so freedom is by faith and must be by faith alone, because that is how we receive Christ, who releases us from our burden before God. Freedom is by faith. And that brings us to our our second point, that freedom is for firmness. Freedom is for firmness. At the beginning there Scuttle the Seagull reminded us that we need to know what things are for so that we don't use them foolishly. And we need to continue to keep Scuttle's lesson in mind as we think about what our freedom is for. And the first thing that we're going to think about our freedom is for is, is for keeping us in freedom. It's For maintaining. Freedom is for maintaining our freedom. Or when you, you get in your car to go on holiday to your favorite place, wherever it may be. Well, what, what keeps you driving along the road? Well, the destination, right? You keep driving because of the end of the journey. Now we could translate the end of, of verse four, which is there in the ESV as you've fallen from grace, we could translate that as you have, you've drifted from the course of grace. In other words, you lost track of the road paved with grace if you decide to take some supposed alternative route, which happens to go through the forest, be covered in giant rocks, and have a dead end. Grace will get you to the destination. But your works will end in tragedy. Grace gets you to the end because faith provides its own hope. Look at, look at verses 5 and 6. Look at these together. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Note the emphasis there, especially in verse 5. By faith, we wait. Whatever else we pull from this, whatever we're going to take away, certainly we need to see that the road toward our hope, the true road that gets us there, is paved with grace, walked by faith. And then we have the hope of righteousness. If we, if we take that road, walking it that way, well there's righteousness, the end of the journey before us. Now what does this hope of righteousness mean? Right? It, it's talking about a hope that comes from righteousness. Right? Does that make sense? Let's think about it this way. I think it like a plant, the root produces a, a shoot that blossoms in a fruit. And so too, justification has the root of Christ's perfect righteousness and forgiving death. It has a shoot of a renewed relationship with God, and it blossoms with the fruit. Of hope for the future. Now why, why does justification give us hope like this? Why does, why does the righteous stat, the status of righteousness given to us in Christ give us this hope? Recently, Sarah and I have gotten a lot of gift cards from lots of different people. Thank you for those. Um, for, to, to buy things for Scott, right? Now, a gift card is credit that you possess, but get to spend later, right? Turning it into a more specific gift. Someone has taken the credit you need, given it to you so that you can spend it on what you need to acquire. Well... What we need is everlasting life. And the credit that we need to get there is perfect righteousness. If we had the status of perfect righteousness, we would be fully hopeful as we look to the future. And in justification, Christ's perfect righteousness has been given to us. It is that gift card that you can cash in on what you need. And although we did not earn that righteousness, it has been handed to us like that gift card. And so we know that all the funds that we need to enter Christ's heavenly kingdom are in your account. And so you have the hope that comes from righteousness. Because in Christ you are counted righteous and so have all that you need to enter everlasting, full, consummate communion with our God. In verses 7-12, to to summarize these, Paul described the dire situation now that the Gentiles had veered off from from the path of grace to depend on their own works. He was confident, though. Note it. He was confident, verse 10, that God would prevent them from being permanently deceived by this departure from grace. Why could Paul be so sure of that? What could convince him that this, this situation in Galatia was going to turn out alright? Well, like our holiday destination keeps us dry on the road, like our gift card guarantees the blessings that we need it to procure, so being justified by faith alone presses us through the Christian life, pressing us toward everlasting life. We need to see this reality for ourselves and how it shapes our lives. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Freedom, then, is for firmness, for staying in our freedom. Our freedom from the law's curse in justification by faith alone provides all the needed hope to keep us firm in the truth and maintain us in our freedom. Freedom is for firmness. Brings us to our last point. Freedom is for fellowship. Freedom is for fellowship. Scuttle the seagull teaches us one final lesson, actually. In that, when he didn't know what things were for, he ended up misleading others, too. Right? When he passed on his confused message, they ended up confused. Now, likewise, when we misunderstand the purpose of our freedom we too end up hurting our Christian community. It's obvious in a certain way, isn't it? That if you think that you've figured out the one key work that you have to do to to obtain salvation, well, in that case, you become really insistent and really inflexible about your stance concerning that and a host of other practices. More than that, you become prideful, don't you? Since you have earned your way into God's favor, you contributed one little nugget to the pile that gets you into heaven. And we see that in verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See there, Paul is asking the same question we are. What is it for? Don't use it for an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, you see the community unraveling here. Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And so we find two, two dangers to avoid. We've already talked about pride. If we convince ourselves that our works save us, then we will de- bite and devour one another. Because if I believe that my works justify me, I can't let you poke any holes in my self-righteousness. I'd be defensive. The walls go up. Don't examine me, because if you were to do so, right, I just lost God's approval, and my salvation is in danger. And so, if I become convinced of this graceless way to justification, I become mean, self-serving, and ready to devour you because you're a threat to my self-righteousness. And pride devours the community. Now, the other danger is abusing our freedom, right? And Paul tells us what we can't use our freedom as an opportunity for. God did not justify you by grace alone to free you from every sort of obligation to the moral law, right? Christ lived, died, and rose, as the confession remind us, to free you from the law's curse, and to free you from it as an obligation, as a condition to enter everlasting life. Indeed, we are free from the law's curse. But for the purpose, you're freed from the the law's curse for the purpose that you could then pursue those deeds not as a condition, but, but pursue deeds of love without fearing what it means if you fail. You can go big because there's less risk. God has accepted you, leaving you open to love more thoroughly. Remember that the Galatians, as we think about this, I'm not taking a leap because the Galatians forgetfulness about justification had fragmented their community, had it not? They weren't eating together anymore. Their fellowship had fractured. Because they had departed from the path of grace. Christian, let us remember how it is that justification works. Because it doesn't just, that, that mode of thinking doesn't just apply to, between you and God. Right? Let us remember that Christ justifies us by faith. By faith. Freely. To restore our relationship with the Lord. And so it makes sense that justification. That automatically results in that restored relationship. Should also result in restored good relationships. Between the justified. When God frees you from the penalty of his wrath. Well, that freedom is for fellowship. If God has made peace with you by faith, you ought to have peace with one another. Right. I think as we come into the next few weeks, this has perhaps particularly pointed application, doesn't it? As we gather with our families, see friends, as beautiful as all of our families and and friends are. Yet, Aren't there these moments when maybe they irritate us? And so, let's remind ourselves in these moments, when we find one another irritating, perhaps especially here in our church, if that happens, right? Let us remind ourselves when we find one another irritating that our peace with God came with the cost of Christ's death. Right? And he paid for all of our transgressions. We can... Eat. God has forgiven us freely. So maybe we can have more leniency with one another. We can easily bear with one another in our flaws if we can remember how much forgiveness we need. Treasuring treasuring up in our hearts that our freedom is for fellowship. All that God has given you isn't just meant to stay in a little box with you, but to be distributed. The greatest freedom we can have in this life is found in the Lord Jesus. As we look to Christ we find the guarantee of all of God's blessings we see that he has immense love for his people as to so much so as to lay down his life to give us life we we see how he has immense love for his people that he that he would summon us to love one another as an expression of our freedom Your freedom has a purpose. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And yet, we see that this freedom sends us into the greatest experience of love where we find ourselves joined to God Himself and yet to one another. And don't we see that most clearly as we come to this table together? Indeed, it's good that God's people would eat together as Galatians reminds us over and over. And here we come to eat. And yet, what does that tell us? We eat in unison because we're joined together in the Lord Jesus. And yet in this meal, Christ gives us himself, joining us to the Lord as well. In these moments of freedom, as we enjoy our salvation, we find all of its effects encapsulated here in this This thing that we're about to do together, being joined to one another, being joined to the Lord himself because of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, as we think about this passage and and how Paul is distraught because... Those believers whom Christ had set free were using their freedom to destroy the community, to fracture the fellowship. We pray, God, that you would remind us of the truths of grace, that we would never depart. We would never drift from the course of grace. We would, we would never choose a different route paved with our own works, for it ends in a dead end. Keep us on this path, Toward everlasting righteousness, convinced of the truth of salvation by faith alone. But we ask, Lord, that we would see the effects of that truth radiating amongst our community. That as we realize that we are restored in a relationship with you freely, that we would indeed use our freedom for fellowship and accepting and loving one another freely. Looking past each other's flaws. We have them, we know that, but we pray, God, that you would bless us with with gracious hearts, eager to be together, eager to serve one another, eager to care. And so we pray for unity as a church. And yet we pray, God, that as you have freed us from the everlasting penalty of sin, God, we pray that there would be concrete, manifestations of our freedom from the penalties of sin in this life and we think about a few different areas god we pray for freedom to you not because we've earned a response but because you have freely given us freedom to approach your throne of grace when we need help and so we do that now and we ask all these things in the name of the lord jesus in whose name we pray amen